Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So I want to go to uh, the absolute classic scripture, Isaiah 53 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to start off in Isaiah 53 verse 4. And I just wanted to read this little passage. I've been reading it over and over. And the more I read it, the more it just stands out and speaks to me. But Isaiah 53 is this classic messianic prophecy of what Jesus will do. And Isaiah 53 verse 4 tells us what Jesus has done. And it says, surely. I want you to know today that that surely is for you. But does it really apply to me? It surely does. It surely happened. This is a trustworthy statement, as Paul writes to Timothy, and worthy of all acceptance. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I'm going to hone in on that little bit in a moment. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. I wasn't supposed to read all these verses, but I just can't stop. All right. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. This statement, we esteemed him stricken, ultimately means that those looking at what Jesus was going through on the cross, those that witnessed his suffering, those that saw what he was going through in that moment, and the absolute horror and terror of his death, the suffering he went through, understood in a moment, even those who had no clue of the messianic prophecies and what it was that Jesus was doing in that moment. Everybody who witnessed him said, surely this is so intense that this is not just a common criminal dying for a common crime, but surely God is against this man. Surely when when we looked at him, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. In other words, we looked at the death of Jesus and said, God is involved. There is a punishment and a judgment that is supernatural because nothing else can explain the horrific events of the cross. This is what Jesus suffered. So I want to share a message with you, a few thoughts in a message called God forsaken. God forsaken. I want to pray for us. And, uh, and then I'm going to share just on this idea this morning. Let's, let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we just thank you this morning. 
that the gravity, that the weight of what Jesus endured on our behalf, Lord, will be impressed on every heart this morning. God, that we will be will we'll receive a humility and a, and a brokenness before you as we understand, God, that what you did, you did for us. And at the same time, God, there will be an incredible courage and joy and sense of righteousness and wholeness that will rise up on the inside of us knowing this is the price that God paid for me. I thank you, God, that this morning every heart will receive the finished work of the cross, not as something done in general, but as something that was done for each one of us individually. We thank you, God, for your love. And we thank you for the cross this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. So when I was a kid, I, had, I was kind of younger and I had a lot of cousins. My dad was one of six kids. And so many, many, many cousins, all of those kids had like five of their own kids, four or five of their own kids. And so we were a big family. And, uh, and so obviously hanging out with my older cousins, I heard jokes, sometimes jokes I wasn't supposed to hear. The Lord was working on protecting my heart at that time. My cousins was work, were working against him um, at the same time. And one of the jokes that I heard was the absolute worst joke. I've never repeated it since I heard it. Uh, I told it to my wife yesterday. She was mad at me for telling the joke. I told it to my staff. They were upset at me for telling the joke. Guess what? I'm going to tell the joke this morning, all right? So this is how it goes. It's not really a joke. It's just a very, very sad story. But, but this is how it goes. There was, a, there was a, a boy who was a part of a family, but this family utterly rejected him. They despised him. They didn't communicate with him. They didn't share with him. He wasn't allowed to join them at the dinner table. He wasn't allowed to play with his siblings. He wasn't allowed to partake in any of the fun things they did as a family because this boy was utterly rejected by his family. And he lived in this sense of loneliness and displacement all of, his, all of his young life. Until one day, his dad called him. And he nearly burst into tears just hearing his dad say his name. He had never heard his dad call his name before. And he got up and he ran to his dad. He thought, this is the day I've been waiting for all of my life. And he got to his dad and his dad gave him 50 rand. His dad had never given him anything before. No gifts no money. His dad gave him 50 rand and said, son, I want you to go and buy yourself some sweets. Go to the store and get yourself whatever you want. He was overjoyed. This was the day it was all turning around. So he took the money and he ran to the store and he bought sweets, but not only for himself. He bought his mom some flowers. He bought his siblings some chocolates. He bought some stuff for his dad. He couldn't wait to share with his family. He ran all the way home. And when he got home, they had moved. Horrible, horrible joke. I can sense the indignation in your hearts this morning. But I want to talk about abandonment. And whenever I think about abandonment, I also think about a story from when we were growing up and, and something that happened. We were out on holiday as a family. and We went down to Nisner, I, th I think it was. And uh, we went to boating that day. And there was a slipway kind of right next to a train track. And we went boating that day. We put the boat out, enjoyed the day out on the water, got back, loaded, hooked the boat, loaded everything in the car, drove off, crossed the train tracks, and we were heading up the hill. And uh, about 10 minutes after we had left, my dad asked my youngest brother, who was only maybe three or four years old at the time, asked him, um, you know, how, if he enjoyed the boating. And there was no response. 
And so he asked again, still nothing. Eventually we looked in the back to see if he had fallen asleep only to discover he wasn't there. And we had left him at the jetty with the workers there and the, and, and the, you know, the guys working on the train tracks. And so we obviously turned around real quick and drove back and I'll never forget the scene as one of the workers had taken my brother and was holding him up, <laughs> hoping somebody somewhere would see that they'd forgotten their child. And, and I remember just seeing that little head above the train as we came around to cross over the train track again. And uh, my brother had that real sense of what this little boy might have felt that day. My family has abandoned me, right? And the reason I mention these things is because today I want to talk about the absolute horror of abandonment, the absolute terror of being disowned or being forsaken. It's what we're talking about today. It's something that took place on Good Friday, the horror of abandonment. Sadly, abandonment is something that many of us are familiar with. We've all felt betrayed. We've all felt left behind. We've all felt abandoned whether that's in a family context, whether that's in a friendship context or any other relationship, we know what it feels to be rejected. We know what it feels to be left behind or abandoned. And many of us still carry the, the, the wounds or the scars of such a betrayal. But I believe that, especially when it comes around Easter, one of the biggest things that people struggle with, because Easter is, you know, you get your CEO Christians, the Christians, Christians that go to church on Christmas and Easter, you know, and, and, and that's kind of their time. And, and the rest of the, their Sundays, the rest of their days, they kind of lived in this disconnected state from God. And then they wonder when it comes around to Easter, am I worthy of going there? Can I go and, and stand in a church full of people that do this every Sunday? I'm, I'm on the outside. And we begin to wrestle with the thought, has God possibly abandoned me on the basis of my actions or on the basis of my absence? The fact that I haven't been present, the fact that I haven't leaned in, the fact that I haven't reconnected, the fact that I can't remember the last time I prayed or opened a Bible or went to church. And if you kind of feel that you're okay for now, you wonder, will he abandon me? If I break another promise or if I live incorrectly, or if there's something that I do wrong, will God abandon me? Many times when we fail, when we sin, when we miss the mark, when we break those promises that we've made to God and to ourselves, how many of you have made a promise to God? I promise you, God, I will never do it again, only to do it again. God, that time was a mistake, uh, you know, it was a weak moment, but I promise you now, if you do this for me, I'll never do that again. This bargaining that goes on between us and God all the time. A lack of confidence in our hearts before Him. Can I pray? Can I ask God for what I need when I know I haven't done what I'm supposed to do? And we wonder how many more times can we break our promises before God before He will depart from us, abandon us, withdraw His Spirit. You know, when we go through difficulties, when we go through hardships, and some of you in this place might be experiencing that today, we often wonder whether this has already happened. Has God withdrawn himself from me? It's easy for us to equate some of the hardships that we go through, some of the, the difficult things we face with an act of judgment from God, right? Oh, I deserve this because I haven't done what I was supposed to. And those looking at you 
can often think, and, and, and you may have been judged in this way before when something goes wrong, you see, that's because he doesn't go to church. Mm, you know, that's why, because he, he was supposed to pray and he didn't pray. That's exactly the meaning of we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. When we go through difficult things, we esteem ourselves that way. And we often experience others looking at us that way. We see this in the story of Job. Job had some friends. Elihu was one of these friends, and, and he esteemed Job stricken and smitten by God. He watched what was happening in Job's life, and he was saying, you must have done something wrong to deserve this, this calamity that has befalled you, because he says in verse 12, there's no truer statement than this. In Job 34, 12, God is never wicked or unjust. He alone has authority over, over the earth and dispenses justice for the world. If God were to withdraw his spirit, all life would disappear and mankind would turn again to dust. Listen now and try to understand, could God govern if he hated justice? Are you going to condemn the almighty judge? In other words, are you gonna say that what God is doing to you right now in the view of Elihu is unjust? You deserve this. That's what we think when we go through hardships. I've been tempted I've been tempted when I've gone through things to go, yes, God, I know. Yeah, this is because I deserve it. Elihu's looking at the calamity of Job saying, you must have done something wrong, man, because this is just too much. We all have that inner Elihu <laughs> inside of us that condemns us when things go wrong. You must have done something to deserve this. God must be really angry with you. And we say this, because we know that we are sinners, right? We all know. There's not a person in this room today, including me, that can say that we have had no sin this week or not ever done anything wrong. None of us can claim that. I always feel this way when I drive up to a police block. You know when you drive up to a police block and you run through all the things? You, you feel guilty. You're like, but I did pay my, my, my car license. I did update that, and I do have a valid license, and I wasn't speeding. And I, but you're still like, but I know I'm guilty for something, right? When you're a kid and your parents call you, you're not like, what did I do wrong? You're like, which of the things that I've done wrong do they know about? Which one of them am I in trouble for? And we feel the same way sometimes when we come to church. It's like, I know there's something just like niggling inside of me because I'm I know that there's a misalignment. So we feel that way. And that's why we have this inner Elihu that says there's something wrong that you've not lived up to. You've missed the mark on. But we also say this, and don't miss this now. We also say this. We haven't put the inner Elihu to death yet because we don't quite know the gospel. The good news of what it is that Jesus has done for us. Romans 5.8 tells us that God shows his love for us in this. He demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, when we were still under that condemnation and that guilt from our own sin, Christ died for us. Jesus died for you for every bit of that guilt, for every bit of that shame, for every bit of that punishment that you may have deserved, Jesus took it upon himself. He experienced the judgment 
that we should have experienced, the ones that we know we deserve. Psalm 22 is an intense scripture. Again, this is a prophecy, a messianic prophecy of what would happen to Jesus on the cross. And he actually repeated some of these words, especially Psalm 22 verse 1. When Jesus, hanging on the cross, as he gave his life for every single person in this building, declared, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsaken. It continues on in verse 14, Psalm 22, describing what Jesus experienced on the cross as he suffered emotional, physical, and spiritual suffering in that time. Jesus says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Jesus is hanging on the cross in utter agony. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can feel every one of my bones. My mouth, my tongue sticks to my jaws with thirst. And I watch as they, as they mock and gloat over me as I die. The Bible tells us that in that moment, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, they mocked him saying, get down, come on. Even the prisoner hanging next to him, being crucified, said, if you are the son of God, why don't you save yourself and us? And Jesus, as he was hanging there, must have been thinking, I won't, because I'm actually saving you. In that moment, Jesus was reconciling the very people that had nailed him to that cross to God because of God's great love. This is the price that God was willing to pay for every single one of us. The judgment Jesus received in that moment was ours. And as Jesus died on the cross, he's abandoned in a split moment. The Father turns away as your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world gets placed squarely on his shoulders. And Jesus experiences the split in the Trinity in that moment. The earth literally begins to shake. The rocks split open. The graves open up. Darkness covers the land as the Trinity is split and Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He felt the separation from God. A separation that meant that as God abandoned Christ in that moment because of our sin, He would never, ever need to abandon you. It is sacrilege 
that we would think that God would abandon us on the basis of our sin. When he left his son behind so that he could embrace you. The abandonment of Jesus, the, the, how Jesus was forsaken, established for all time that God would never need to abandon you, never need to forsake you, never need to withdraw his spirit from you. Because in Christ, in that moment, there was a great exchange and his life became our life. We were received as sons and daughters of God. Jesus was forsaken so that we would never need to be forsaken. This is the most heart-wrenching moment in history, but also the most significant one. Why? Why would God do that? So that we could be saved. Jesus' rejection became our embrace. And Jesus suffered and died as a, as a, as a criminal on that cross even though he had done nothing wrong. But thank God that's not the end of the story. We've got Sunday coming. And Jesus defeated death. And he was raised from the dead on that third day. And when he was raised, he took the keys to death and Hades. He had defeated sin and death once and for all. Death, where is your sting? You have no more authority over us we are no longer under the dominion of sin because Jesus has fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so we get to live in this new life where you are constantly embraced by the Father. I spoke about this last week, but the image of the prodigal son is the prodigal son comes home and the father runs out and embraces him and kisses him. And that word in the Greek means kisses him repeatedly, kisses him much Charles Spurgeon says, God on the neck of a sinner, kissing him much. Can you imagine it? But if you cannot conceive it, I hope that you can realize it. I hope that this morning you can understand that there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I don't care what you've done wrong. I don't care what your journey has looked like. I don't care what battle you're fighting on the inside or on the outside. I don't know how many thoughts you may have had about your own worthiness. It's all irrelevant to the fact that Jesus died for you. And so this morning, you can know. Surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely, I was interested in the ways that Jesus suffered leading up to the cross. And I'm going to land on this this morning before we pray together. But one of the first things that happened is that they took Jesus and they tied him to a whipping post and they whipped him 39 times, which used to be called one from death. And the blood flowed from his back. Every single time, I have turned my back on God. Every single time you may have turned your back on God, every single time you may have ignored the voice of God when you knew that God was speaking to you, guess what? Jesus' back was whipped for you. His back bled for you. When they pressed that crown of thorns into his head, mocking him as the king of the Jews, I know that every sinful thought that I've had, 
every lustful thought, every, every broken thought, every bit of broken self-image or, or unworthiness or struggle that I've had in my mind, that crown of thorns was pressed into Jesus' head and the blood flowed down his face. That blood has covered your thoughts. And we get to live with renewed minds today. They struck him in the mouth, which covers every single word that we have spoken. That was spoken out of anger or out of hurt or out of pain or out of sinfulness. All the things that we've said that we shouldn't have said. They ripped his beard and his face bled. They drove the nails through his hands. Every single thing that you may have done with your hands. Everything that you have handled that you should not have handled. Everything that you have done that you should not have done. Jesus' hands bled for you. They drove the nail through his feet. For all the places that we have gone that we should not have gone. All the, the doors that we walked through that we knew this is not a door that I should walk through today. But we did it anyways. Jesus bled from his feet. And finally, not only dealing with everything that we have done or said or thought on the outside, but they took a spear and pierced his side, piercing his rib cage, his lungs, and his heart. You know what? When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just take care of how we behave on the outside. This is not behavioral modification. We're not asking you just to change the way you act. No, Jesus took care of sin on the inside. He bled from the inside. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's internal bleeding. And as he bled on the inside, we know that the sin nature that is within us, that the penalty and the power of sin that we were born with, every one of us, was dealt with on the cross. And we were liberated and set free. The band can come up this morning just before I pray. They thrust the spear into his side and dealt with the heart of sin within us. 2 Corinthians 5.19, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. I was telling my boys about this last night. They decided to all sleep in the same room. And so they had their mattresses out there. And I, and, I, and I spoke to them about what Easter means. And I asked them about Easter. And we had quite an intense little theological conversation there for a few minutes. We spoke about Jesus. And as I was done, I was leaving the room. And my little boy, Leo, he stopped me and he said, Dad, can you tell me about the other people on the cross? Can you tell me about those other people that were hanging there? You see, there were three people that hung next to each other on the cross, Jesus in the center. And one of the men on the one side who was a tried criminal who deserved that death, just like any of us, he stood there and he started mocking Jesus. He said, come on, if you're the son of God, save yourself and us. Get yourself down from here. Jesus didn't answer. The criminal on the other side looked over at him 
and said, how can you mock this man? We can see that he is innocent, but we know that we're guilty and deserving of death. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I know that I don't deserve to be in heaven with you. I'm dying here today rightfully as a criminal, a guilty man. But when you get to the Father, when you get into paradise, will you remember me? He just wanted to live on in some sort of a memory at least before God. And Jesus opens his mouth in the midst of the agony of the cross and looks over at him and says, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. That man didn't have time to get off of the cross and go make amends for what he had done wrong. He had no opportunity to make right, to ask for forgiveness, to go and, and pay back what he had stolen. He had no time to become religious or to work for his salvation or to try and join the church and serve as a way of, of making up for what he had done wrong. All he expressed in that moment is that I can see that you are the Son of God. Will you remember me? And that revelation by itself was enough to give him access with Jesus into eternity. I said to my boy Leo, as, as I was recounting the story, I said to him, you see, it's not good people that go to heaven. It's forgiven people. It's forgiven people. And I want to tell you today that whatever you have done, whenever you felt unworthy, whenever you've wondered whether or not God might abandon you, I want to tell you, He abandoned Christ on the cross having put all of your sin upon Him so that you could be made alive together with Him. And if we died with Christ, we shall also live with Him. Not only on this earth, but in all of eternity. And that's really what we celebrate today. That's really where the, that is the crux of our faith, literally. So I wanna invite you to stand with me this morning. I'd love to pray for you right now.